0: That's stamps.com. Code program.
1: Hello. Welcome to the Commons People podcast with me, Paul War. More than two years after the United Kingdom voted to leave the European Union, Brexit is almost here. Yet while the country is scheduled to depart on March 29th, 2019, both the country and Parliament are as divided over the issue as they've ever been. On Tuesday, the House of Commons witnessed 63 minutes of mayhem, or Theresa Mayhem to be precise. The Prime Minister suffered three shattering defeats on Brexit. Two votes found her government in contempt of Parliament, and a third allowed MPs to instruct ministers to deploy a Plan B alternative to May's deal. It was Dominic Greaves' amendment that delivered the biggest roar and the biggest bloody nose to the PM. The eyes to the right, 321. The nose to the left, 299. <laughs> the eyes to the right, 321. The noes to the left, 299. That majority of 22 was proof that the PM's shaky majority was easily blown away by a Tory backbench rebellion. Some 26 Conservatives voted for the Grieve Amendment, some of them ostensibly May Loyalists. So with the DUP also ready to vote against May's deal next week, just what the heck will happen next? Well, I'm delighted to be joined by Bridget Fowler, a senior researcher with the Hansard Society, for a Commons People special on how we can try and map our way through the parliamentary jungle ahead. So, Bridget Just what does the Grieve Amendment mean?
2: Thank you, Paul. The Grieve Amendment is about what can be done with further motions that the House of Commons may be asked to pass after the meaningful vote on Tuesday if in that meaningful vote on Tuesday the House does not approve the withdrawal agreement. So under the Act of Parliament that is governing this whole process, if the House of Commons does not approve the withdrawal agreement on Tuesday, the government is under a legal obligation to bring forward at least one other motion. Um, This is a text um, that, that there will have to be a vote on. And before the Grieve Amendment, that text was not going to be amendable. So the House would have had an up or down Take vote it or leave on it. it. Take it or leave it, yeah. vote on it. After the Grieve Amendment, that text becomes amendable. So obviously, politically, that opens up space potentially for the House of Commons to say something substantive, which is not what the government had originally wanted to say.
1: Yeah. Now, what do you say to those people who say, actually, the government was always going to make it amendable? they were always going to make clear that. Do you think that's a bit of kidology from the government?
2: That could have been um, problematic in procedural terms um, because under the Act of Parliament that further motion was going to have to be, or it is going to have to be, what's called a neutral motion. So all it can say is that the House of Commons has considered something. It can't express an opinion. What the Grieve Amendment did was change the parliamentary rules that apply to that motion so that now it can be amendable, so there was there was scope for an argument under the previous arrangements. Um, my own view is that it probably wouldn't have been amendable, but other people there are a range of views on that. But after the Grieve amendment, there isn't really scope for that argument anymore. Right. It, will so it will definitely be amendable. Yes, that's
1: interesting. Um, now, what about let's look forward to Tuesday night? You know, this great big. Parliamentary event. that Everyone's been looking forward to for a long, long time. Now, what happens is that there there are amendments before the main motion. Um, Now, up to six amendments could be selected by the Speaker. Um, It looks most likely that Labour, the main opposition party, will have its formal amendment considered first. Um a lot of people obviously think that, that that's going to fail because it is that's what happens with opposition amendments. Then it gets interesting we could get Hillary Benn's cross party amendment. Um do you want to say what that really tries to achieve?
2: The Hillary Benn amendment tries to do several things in one text. It says explicitly that the House of Commons declines to approve the withdrawal agreement. So that's that's sort of the key part of it. Um but then it also says uh, that it also says that the um, House of Commons rejects the idea of leaving the EU.. without a deal. And thirdly, it calls on the government to move on to this next motion that we were just talking about, um, without delay. So it does, it does three things. Um, so, so some of it is about the, the substance of the withdrawal agreement, and some of it is about the process. After after the, the withdrawal agreement going down, as if, if it does.
1: Yeah, and it's a curious hybrid amendment in that sense, isn't it? It's got lot. It's trying to spin lots of plates at the same time.
2: Yes, that. I mean, I think I think part of what's going on. There's many things going on, but I think part of what's going on may be this limit of six amendments, as you as you mentioned. Um, if you if you're amending a bill or a select committee report. Um, sometimes you might want to put down a very large number of very, very specific amendments and test each one separately. But given the the limit of six that was set um, in the business motion, um, I think several members are sort of trying to do several things in in one amendment or one possible amendment.
1: Yeah. And what do you think of this suggestion that actually this could get cross-party support, enough cross-party support? If it did, then the House will have voted in favour of this amendment. Now, what normally happens next is that have, the Speaker will say, well, let's put it to a vote, that this is the motion as amended. Um, what, what do you think is going to happen on Tuesday night?
2: Well, the, that's, that's right. Um, the House votes on, on all the amendments first, and they put all those bits of text together, um, Any that are part, any of those amendments that are passed, they put them all together and you end up with a motion as amended. And then the House of Commons must... Um, take a view on that motion as amended. Um, And what normally has to happen is that the Speaker checks with the person who put their name to the original motion, in this case, the government. They say, do you want to so-called move it formally? So do you want to put it to a vote? Um, And then the Speaker will um, do the bit that everybody will have seen on the television when he says, everybody of that opinion say aye and everybody of that opinion say no. And if the house is divided, um, so there's a equal, roughly equal sounding number of yells on each side, then they go to a formal division, which is when they they leave the chamber and go round, and that's when you get a recorded vote.
1: Yeah, and it might be that that might not happen this time, though.
2: Well, I mean, one possibility, um, I suppose. Well, actually, I suppose there's two possibilities. I mean, one would be that the the government chooses not to move the motion at all i.e. To effectively just says we we're just not doing this tonight um the second option would be to effectively not um not put it to a division so when the speaker asks whether or not it should be put to a division in theory um the conservative um uh, benches could stay silent for example and there were so many yells in favour of the Ben Amendment, that it becomes obvious that it, that it would pass. And then it just passes on the nod. You don't yeah. have to have a formal division. So you wouldn't, as it were, count the numbers and you wouldn't see the names.
1: That's interesting. The, the, the former example you gave, though, is, is interesting. So if the government felt, look, we've just lost, we've just been defeated by a, maybe a small amount, 15 or 20 votes, um, uh, but we have lost, so we, we've decided we're not going to push this our own main motion tonight um, if that's the case and they fail to move the motion as amended what happens what, Where where is the house left does that literally leave it in limbo does it say that it's it's that the amendment hasn't actually formally finally been approved
2: yes my understanding would be that in that scenario um, the house has not passed hasn't passed a motion um, so it technically doesn't have a, a sort of formal view um obviously politically the last thing that the House would have done would have been passing the Ben Amendment. So yeah. effective in, in practical political terms, that's the view of the House, but in, in sort of formal procedural terms it, it it's not. Um and the other thing to bear in mind, of course, that is that um if if we are to leave the EU with an agreement, the government has to get an approval motion through at some point. That's it, a so very it good doesn't point. It might get the government out of a, of a very short-term hole, but it, it doesn't really do much for the overall process. <laughs>
1: yeah, at some point, it's got to give a, a if, view. If otherwise, it's true, is it not, that um, the EU won't have considered it to have been ratified, uh, the, the, the treaty as such, because the withdrawal agreement is effectively a treaty. It,
2: it absolutely is a treaty, and under the um, European Union Withdrawal Act, which, as I say, is the Act of Parliament that, that governs this entire process, um, it, it, it is a legal requirement that a, an approval motion must be passed by the House before the UK can ratify the treaty. There are other things that have to happen as well, but one of the things that have to happen is that the House of Commons has to pass a motion approving... The treaty.
1: Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Because it is is—it is curious, isn't it, that we've had this meaningful vote inserted in the law at all? I mean, normally, surely what would happen is a government would bring forward a bill, the withdrawal Agre- agreement bill, which is still around, let's not forget that, but it wouldn't need to have any other affirmative motion beforehand.
2: It would just bring forward its legislation and it would
1: pass it, wouldn't
2: it? That's that's absolutely right. Um, this, is, this is something that uh, we've been looking at. Um, this is this Meaningful vote process um, is extremely unusual in terms of the way in which um, Parliament uh, is normally engaged, or, or for not so much engaged on treaties. Um, it has occurred to me to wonder why one of the one of the reasons why parliamentarians um, and the House of Commons in particular are having or appear to be having some difficulty with this, is that they're just not very used to dealing with treaty making, um, at least at this stage of the process. As you say, normally uh, Parliament only gets really engaged on treaties if and when there needs to be legislation on them, which comes... A little bit later in in the process so this is this is all very unusual and I think as well as the all the other things that are unusual about this process I think that may be contributing to a degree of the some of the confusion that's so going on. So it looked on.
1: like they were originally getting themselves out of a hole weren't they with this meaningful vote because they were under pressure from opposition MPs to, to have some sort of straight up and down and meant not just a straight up and down vote but actually some variation on that and yet it's caused them massive headaches hasn't it
2: well i i think that's one of the great ironies of this that that none of this needed to have happened yeah. in a strict in a strict legal yeah. you know sense none of this needed to have happened um legally under our constitutional arrangements the government could have could have gone through and, and not asked Parliament its view about the withdrawal agreement at all. Really? Until until it needed to until legislate the on it. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. That's fascinating. And yet, yeah, it's still the case. Uh, that brings me on to the withdrawal agreement. Um, there is a bit, David Natsa, the clerk of the House of Commons, has been talking about this. Um, he was uh, quizzed about it before MPs. Now, in evidence to the Brexit Select Committee, um, he said, for example, that. Despite the fact legally the government has to have this meaningful vote, the sequencing is is you know up for grabs. In other words, he felt that the government could actually bring forward the legislation and then at a later and get that through, and then at a later date do the meaningful vote. I mean, it, d- d- does that make any sense at all? I mean, he suggested it was possible.
2: That that legally that's absolutely correct. The clerk of the house is obviously is obviously correct. <laughs> um, the the government has um, I think for fairly obvious reasons given the politics of this, um, decided that there really wouldn't be much point in, in trying to introduce what will be a, a, a large and complex piece of legislation if you don't know that you've got the basic political support right. for the withdrawal yeah. agreement in the first place. Yeah. So I think it's I think yeah. it's just you know, there's just no point in That's wasting anybody's time, I think.
1: Yeah. And on, on the withdrawal agreement bill, the Web Bill. Um it is the case that a lot of Begs of Tears and even the DUP now recently have started talking about this idea and Remainers too, about the idea of guerrilla warfare. In other words, even if the PM was some by some miracle to get her meaningful vote passed, that they can try and amend the, the withdrawal agreement bill and and sort of put
2: a spanner in the works. Is that is that possible? That again is absolutely possible. Um this is as it were, the Maastricht scenario yeah. um when it's at the point where you have the the bill which is required um to implement the um the withdrawal agreement which is re- or to implement the treaty um it's at that point that again you have another whole load of opportunities for parliamentarians to try and amend the legislation this is this um the question here is is the relationship between the legislation and the withdrawal agreement itself so the issue that always comes up is whether any particular amendments to the bill would effectively be attempting to change the treaty Um, and that's what you can't do right you Um, can't do that yeah um, but there's plenty of scope for parliamentarians to try and do other things sort of purely domestically Um, for example you this is where For example, the question about the decision about whether or not to try and extend the transition period or default into the backstop um, if we don't have a new trade agreement with the EU by mid-2020. For example, you could insert into the withdrawal agreement bill some provisions about how that decision should be taken or must be taken, for example, and that, my reading of that would be that that's a purely domestic decision for the UK. Right. That, that doesn't, the, the UK decision about what the UK wants to do at that point is purely a matter for the UK. The, the decision as to what happens is made jointly with the EU, but the basic decision about the UK's policy at that point is, is, would be a matter purely right. for the UK, I think.
1: So if the government were going to try and give a SOP to DUP, for example, that's the way to do it by amending this legislation rather than amending the meaningful vote or even putting it in the meaningful vote, do you think? You,
2: you, could, you could do both. You could right. try and do either. Yeah. Um, but this is where the, the issue about the legal status of these or the legal force of these different um, instruments comes into play yeah. because obviously the, the bill will become an act of parliament. It becomes law. Exactly. Um, so that, that's always the argument that, that comes up at that point. And
1: that brings me on to that point. I mean, where do you stand on that? The, the, the Brexiters say, look, these are just motions. They don't have any legal force whatsoever. They're basically, it's like an Oxford Union debating society saying this house agrees X. Um, politically, obviously, it's got force. But legally, are they right? It's got no force in terms of what happens next?
2: Needless to say, there's there's scope for differences of, of views on this. But, but I, I broadly, yes, um, if it's... If it's um, what's, if it's a motion that's referred to in an Act of Parliament or it has the force of an Act of Parliament behind it, um, then then it, it has greater legal force. If it's if it's just a, a motion that, that doesn't have that legal force behind it, then 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 it's not it's not legally binding. This this is again a, quite a, a complicated issue, but I think the key the key issue would be would be the the politics of it. Um, there in theory there is a scenario or you one could imagine a scenario in which the house of commons um passes a motion that says we would like another referendum or we would like to tell the government to ask for an extension of the article 50 period any of these you know potentially uh, massive political decisions in theory there is a scenario in which the government says no we're not going to do that in which case we are in constitutional crisis i would have (laughs) i would have thought um but i think the 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 interesting politics of that would be where the government would say i'm i'm going to i'm not going to implement um, that um decision or i'm not going to follow that um opinion of the house of commons because we regard that as running counter to the result of the referendum exactly and this is where you, you you this is part of you know this is the underlying sort of tension in this whole process that you've got two competing sources of authority you've got the house of commons and you've got the referendum result yeah. and this whole process has been sort of well which one has precedence yeah um, and that that's was that was not really resolved at the time of passing the referendum legislation or or since
1: yeah and that's almost inherent in the whole process isn't it yeah that's a real difficulty um i was going to ask you a little bit about that whole idea of a second referendum um Say, say, for example, that MPs managed to cobble together a majority for a second referendum on the meaningful vote and, you know, further down the line. PM's motion is defeated. Then we're into this whole grieve scenario. House comes up with its own sort of version. Um, is, it, is it the case, you think, that at that point um, they do have enough power, politically speaking, to force a prime minister to actually do something, or can they? Can the government stand firm? They've been saying this to us all week, which is: look, it's executives that bring forward legislation. You know, you, you would need a prime minister who'd want to do this, who would have to enact it and then put it to the House before we could do anything.
2: Again, in in formal terms, that's correct. Um, to have another referendum, you would need an act of Parliament, and it's extremely difficult for any um, bill to get through parliament if it's not a government bill so that's that's basically correct so if you want if you want a second referendum you you need to get the government to accept that that's what we're doing or to want to do that and to introduce the um the relevant bill i think the the counter to that would be that um the house of commons if if that if if there were to be a new majority for another referendum the house of commons could simply um frustrate government business it could simply just start tabling wrecking amendments it could start trying to filibuster things it could it could just you know the government effectively becomes unable to get any of its business through the house right, that's that's one scenario um it's again it's a fairly extreme scenario yeah. but but in theory um, you would you would you would end up with a with a with a conflict between a majority in the house and and the government and and you just get completely stuck and the government can't get its business through.
1: And also, is it possible that, for example, those MPs could amend the withdrawal agreement bill and say, for example, they could say, look, let's amend it to say, we we the agreement can stand. We're not going to affect that whatsoever, but it's wholly conditional on having the prior authority of the public through a referendum and a referendum act that will enact that so is that one way that the the people's voters could sort of get their way
2: yes again in in theory that would uh, just as um it's like some of the other issues where you could you could have one run at it at the motion stage of the process and then if if the um house were to approve the withdrawal agreement in the in the motion then you could have another run at it at the um bill stage yeah let's
1: talk about a general election now. Obviously, um, you're more than familiar with the uh, Fixed Term Parliaments Act, um, but also the sort of the suggestion that somehow. Uh, let's go through the options. One is that Labour tables a vote of no confidence. Um, or I don't know if it actually formally tables it. What is the process, by the way?
2: Yes, I, I think so. You yeah. have to. Labour has to formally say yeah. we, we want to move uh, a so no confidence. So say motion. they
1: do that and. The Government um, loses that is that is it the case of my understanding have I got this right. They then have another two weeks the government in which to cobble together some kind of government and come back and then get voted on a second time before there could be any general election
2: that's almost correct um, <laughs> no no that um, this is it's, it's important to be clear that this is the specific process laid out in the fixed term Parliaments act so are other, other um, issues to do with confidence or other occasions on which confidence might be put to the test might arise. So, But the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act is specifically about the process that triggers an early general election. It's not, it's not primarily about confidence in yeah. the government. Um, but under the Fixed-Term Parliaments Act, there's two routes to an early general election. You can get a, a two-thirds vote in the House of Commons, as Theresa May did in 2017. Or you um, can pass a no confidence motion, and then for two weeks after that, fail to pass a motion of confidence right. in the government. So, so you, there is a running down the clock right. scenario um, after you've passed the first motion of or the motion of no confidence.
1: Yeah. So they've got to knock her out twice, haven't they? Basically, have to get a general election.
2: Well, yes. You, m- she can be knocked
1: out the first time. Get back up off the canvas somehow
2: well it's, it's it's a positive requirement. you have to get a motion of confidence yeah. in 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 a government right. um,
1: and th- that brings me on to a government now could that government be a labor minority administration how How is that going to work constitutionally? I mean this is the thing that a lot of people are really interested in. Say she loses the vote of no confidence uh, uh, the first time um Who's, who has first dibs to then... What's the Queen's role in all of this? Will the Queen then say, well, actually, the, the, as the city prime minister, you have a chance to... I'll give you a chance to form a government again and put that to the test. Or does she say, actually, um, well, anyone can come forward and if you can give me and find me a majority, then I'll go with that.
2: This is indeed where it gets um, interesting. Um, <laughs> the The convention is that the prime minister of the day does not resign until there is somebody in place or somebody or sh- there is there is a degree of certainty that there's somebody else who could command the confidence of the house and the convention as i understand it is also that the uh, sovereign would take the advice of the prime minister the, the sitting prime minister so in that kind of scenario i think the first the first mover, as it were, would be Theresa May. What What is What is she going to do? Is she um, Does she sort of stay on in some kind of caretaker yeah. role? Does she try and form a or, or form a government, or, or put her own or put a, her own government to to a, a confidence vote? Yeah. Um, or does she? Um, you know, are there manoeuvrings within the cabinet and within the Conservative Party about Perhaps trying to have a dip, put a different prime minister in, so retaining a a conservative government, but under a different prime yeah. minister, or does it become clear that in fact the game is up for a conservative government, and uh, Theresa May um, feels under feels un, under an obligation to advise the, the Queen that she has to ask Jeremy Corbyn to try and form a government. Right. Um, so this is this is I think where the one of the several points in this process where it's it's a numbers game. Yeah. What what you know, have you got the confidence of the House you need to you need to
1: And the fact is, is it not, that actually, given that it's highly unlikely the DUP would want to back Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, that actually in the real world the only really two options are, are gonna be Theresa May staying on and putting herself to a second vote or another Tory Prime Minister Replacing her and putting themselves to a vote they're, they're the two realistic options aren't they given the numbers as you say
2: I think you're, you're, you're right that the the DUP is um, critical. We were playing with the numbers yesterday and that's that's how it comes out. I think this is where the interaction between the sort of purely domestic politics in the House of Commons and in Westminster interacts with the with the brexit question because did um, the, theresa mays prospects under these kinds of scenarios I think are probably tied up with what it is that she says she wants to do about Brexit and the withdrawal agreement. So you'll have seen comments from some DUP figures saying, you know, if we we, we would continue to support the government as long as it's clear that this current withdrawal agreement is not going forward. Um, if, if it were to become clear that um, the withdrawal agreement were to as it were, still be alive in some form, um, the, the numbers and the, D, the role of the DUP might become more questionable. Um, but this, this is where it gets, it, it gets very complicated. And I think, I think the key thing will be what Theresa May herself wants to do, on presumably on Tuesday evening, if, if the withdrawal agreement has not been approved. Yeah. Uh, does, she, does she move first and what does she do?
1: Can we talk through a little bit about the process there? Under the Act, what is, she's got a certain number of days, hasn't she, within which she has to come back. If she's defeated, she has to come back within a certain number of days to bring a statement to Parliament. How, how long is that?
2: That's, that's correct. Um, if the House of Commons does not approve the withdrawal agreement on Tuesday evening, as a legal requirement under the Act of Parliament, the government must make a statement um, within 21 days, which I make New Year's Day... <laughs> Um, and then within seven Commons sitting days after that, there has to be uh, a vote on a government motion on that statement. And this that's the motion that is now amendable right. under, under the Grieve amendment. So if, if this process were to run to its maximum time limit, I reckon I, I put that at sort of mid-January. That's that vote because those are sitting days as because you said, those are sitting days so effectively you, you'd start counting when the house comes back in january but those those that's a maximum um time period and obviously there's nothing to stop the government moving more quickly yeah. than that if it if it wanted to and um if the that was as we mentioned earlier that was one of the things that the ben amendment tries to do is to try and accelerate that process yeah. and get the government to Bring forward that statement, and then Could the they motion. It's swiftly, doesn't it? Or it's, something uh, like that. I um, think it's without delay. Without I think delay. Is, is the wording. And
1: that's interesting. I mean, obviously, the House rises for Christmas. I mean, some MPs are talking about. Well, do we just keep going through Christmas? You know, because of market, you know, possibly crashing, insensitivity, the uncertainty of all that. I mean, is that a possibility?
2: When you say keep going,
1: um, in other words, you would you wouldn't have a Christmas recess. You'd you'd basically as you said, and technically speaking, this would take us through to January 1st, but in a, an attempt to try and find some kind of solution, that house could sit longer than expected?
2: I think that's that's a possibility. Um, the if In effect, the government controls um, the house's sitting dates and recess dates. I think if we were to get into that territory... The government it would have to be very clear what it was that the House was still sitting there for, because the one thing the government really can't afford to do at the moment is annoy MPs <laughs> even more than it has already. And, and it
1: needs a majority to pass the programme motion, wouldn't it? Or does it not? Is, is that within the government's gift to not? I mean, I suspect, I think... Um, MPs have I'm, to say, have a say think, over their I own. I think
2: so. I think it's, I mean, it's normally a formality. Yeah. Um
1: But um, I suspect that they so you can't force Parliament to sit longer than it needs to. Yeah.
2: Um, no, I suppose not. I suppose I mean the other the other thing to think of is is rather than rather than simply carrying on. Um, above all, if if it's not clear what we're carrying on for, yeah. um, the other option to think of potentially is that the house goes off into christmas recess as currently scheduled on the 20th but you might have to recall it right during the christmas recess to do something right um that's that's another scenario but um none of this is going to be popular (laughs) um needless to say um and as i say i think i think it would have to be clear what it you know that there is a plan and that the House is being asked to do something specific. And do
1: you think in the real world that actually, say she loses on Tuesday, she's going to have to come back very, very quickly with a, that statement?
2: I, th- I think, well, she. I think she will have to say something very quickly. I think whether or not it is the the statement that is legally required under the Act or whether it's just a statement, I think that will matter and uh, the government needs to be clear about that because it, if it is formally the statement required under the act that means that you then that have triggers to all ha- the amendments. Tr- it triggers it well it triggers the the vote within seven right. sitting days right, so I hope that the government if or the prime minister um is very clear about any statement that she makes so whether, she she whether, might be
1: trying to do an informal holding statement, and then the people yeah, say hold on the tick. i think <laughs> that I think sounds I, like I'm, a legal statement i'm hoping to
2: me. that that she's going to be very clear about that, but in terms of the politics of it yes i I would. I would assume, uh, we we would assume that she would say something possibly already on on Tuesday night or certainly on on Wednesday morning because um, people will need to know what the government's plan is. Um, And as you say, there is, I mean, there is the possibility of a market reaction on on Wednesday morning. Again, the the market watchers are divided about what that might be and whether or not there would be a major reaction or not, but it's certainly a possibility. Um, So... I think even even if it's just a holding statement, she will need to say something. Yeah. Can I
1: ask you finally about no deal? A lot of the Brexiteers were delighted when they, I think they inserted this into the legislation, that actually, is it 21st of January 2019? There's there's a sort of point by which we have to have an agreement. And if you don't have an agreement by then, then the default is there is no agreement. Is that right? Um, I've got that wrong.
2: Well, that's interesting because, uh, needless to say, again, one, one could um, have s- have a range of views about that. The, the Act of Parliament says that if by the 21st of January um, the Prime Minister makes a statement that no agreement in principle can be reached in the negotiations yeah. with the EU, or if, leaving aside what the Prime Minister says about it, if there is no agreement yeah. in principle by the 21st of January... Um, then we have to make a statement and again there would be a, a vote on that statement. Two things to say, one is um, my own reading of that would be that those provisions are no longer relevant because I I would read it as saying that the the fact we've got a withdrawal agreement means that there is agreement in principle. So I have been assuming that those provisions are no longer relevant but obviously one could uh, take a different view on that. The second thing um, is that if those provisions do come into play under the Grieve amendment, motions on those statements would also now be amendable.
1: Oh, really? Right.
2: Because the Grieve amendment was such that all further motions under the Act of Parliament mm-hmm. would be amendable. So that would that. So that's would a
1: further f- safeguard for those who don't who are, are dead against No Deal. That could be another chance for them to sort of. It. if,
2: as I say, my, if we got there, as I say, my, my reading is that that those provisions aren 't going to be relevant anymore but but yes, in theory there, there, there could be more votes uh, at that sort of stage in proceedings
1: and uh, it was, is that assuming that we have that the withdrawal agreement has been passed by the house uh, if what if the, the House just hasn 't come to a view on the withdrawal agreement can 't agree
2: my my reading of those provisions was that those were the the um, to coin a phrase the backstop right. if, if if there was no, if we hadn't even reached agreement, political right. agreement with the EU oh, on I a see. withdrawal agreement, right. I think that the fact that we've got we've got a withdrawal agreement that has been um, signed off by the UK government and by the um, 27, I think that that means that those provisions no longer apply.
1: That's interesting. And finally, I'm not going to put you on the spot and ask you what's going to happen, but what do you think actually? what does this say a bit about our constitution about the way we do things um is there any could we have done a better done this better could we have just avoided this whole meaningful vote thing completely would that have been easier or was it the political reality that she she needed that
2: i think what i would say is that the um the consequences of giving parliament this or and or successfully demanding this Um, meaningful vote have not been as not been followed through on as uh, thoroughly as might have been um, ideal so the fact that with the grieve amendment effectively we were still arguing over the the process that was going to govern this this vote um, and don't forget that even before the Grieve amendment, we had the whole issue about whether or not the amendments were going to be taken before the main motion or yeah. vice versa. Um, this is this is sort of further arguing about a process that was um, legislated for in June, after um, nearly a year of debate on the EU Withdrawal Act. So these things weren't sorted out then. Um, so so I think. Both on the process and then obviously on the on the politics of this, I don't it all I don't think um, parliamentarians have necessarily thought far enough ahead. Um, and I think possibly uh, the same applies to the government. So as soon as you know that your legislature is going to have a vote on an international agreement at the end of the process, I would suggest that you need to be thinking, how am I going to get this through? And I think um, there's a reasonable case that the, the government has not involved Parliament in this process in the way in which um, would have made it more likely, would have made its task easier at this stage in proceedings. Um, oh, I think I think that's what I say. And, and Theresa May, obviously, we, we knew that there was be going to be some form of parliamentary vote in her Lancaster House speech, so that's getting on for two years ago. Yeah. And And now... You know, it all seems to have coming unravelled at this stage where I think things could have been done earlier and through the process that would have made this all a bit less fraught at this stage.
1: And it seems that there's there's been no majority for anything so far, I mean uh, which is really difficult. (laughs) The only majority was in the referendum but there's no majority in the House for any alternative Um, just finally to pin down this whole no deal point ministers of number 10 have said to me look, it's clear you either have an agreement or the default option is no deal, you know, are they right to say that?
2: That's correct. That's a matter of international law um, because by triggering um, Article 50 at the end of March uh, 2017, you set off a process of international law um, which is unaffected pretty much by whatever we might do in Westminster. so and that that's a matter that's under the EU treaties it just says the EU treaties will cease to apply on 2 years after you've after you've triggered article 50
1: and that's
2: it. <laughs> and that's and, that, and that's and that's
1: it. Great. Okay. Well, thanks very much, Bridget. It's been brilliant to sort of talk through loads of the issues. I mean, it is a minefield, but thank God, at least we've got someone with a bit of expertise to guide us on the law. At least the politics is, you know, another matter.
2: <laughs> well, I, I think I think the key thing it's the old um, the, the, the procedure and the, and the and the law are mind bogglingly complicated. But ultimately, it comes back to the old LBJ quote about uh, needing to be able to count.
1: Brilliant. Thanks a lot. We'll <music>